Thank you so much, Frank and Pam, for sharing your, your heart for the ministry. And This is exactly what we were talking about uh, last week with, with sharing goodness or restoring goodness to the world. Uh, noticing things that are wrong, you know, kids uh, that can't be taken care of by their families, and then doing something about it. And so I hope that several of you will stop by the table. I imagine you'll hang around for a little bit afterwards. And uh, so... Uh, if you missed that table as you came in, then you just really weren't paying attention when you came here today, so catch it on the way out. Uh, this time I will invite the kids to their program. Always sad to see them go, as I say, um, but they'll have a good time there. Really great to be here in church with you, and, and uh, often I'm reminded that there's a lot of different reasons people come to church. And uh, whatever reason you came to church for today, I'm just really happy that you're here. Um, And I imagine most of you came because you are wanting to follow Jesus. And this is what people that follow Jesus do. It's we meet together at church. Um, We've been talking the last several weeks about essential habits for those who follow Jesus. Uh, If you are a Christian, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, there's some basic habits that should be uh, a part of your life and a part of my life. Uh, We talked about um, our relationship to God, which can be summarized by by thriving, by flourishing through through God's Word and through prayer and worship. This is how we um, this is how we flourish in our relationship with God, in that primary relationship with with um, in life with the Creator, is to thrive through these habits. Um, I've, I bet most of us are really on board with that. Yeah, that's, that's what we're about. Yeah, we pray, we, we like the Bible, we come to worship. That's why we're here this morning. We're on board. And then when it comes to our relationship with each other, others you know, inside the church family, uh, we summarize this with the word share. It's this, this mutuality, this koinonia, where we share in life together, we share by giving sacrificially. We share by, by serving, by using our gifts, the w- different ways that God's designed us. And, uh, and we love that as well. We're on board with that. And we're, where some of us get hung up is, how about our relationship with those who are not in this room, uh, who believe a different way, who are, are out there, so to speak? How do we relate to them? Well, the world offers a couple of uh, models of how to relate with people who believe differently, and one of those models is, is to battle, <laughs> to have a, uh, an argument, to have a, a conflict, to have a great divide, and this is what sells newspapers, if people read newspapers still. Um, this is what uh, sells news, is pitting groups against each other in, in a battle. Well, another model that's presented to us is just uh, blend in, pretend there's no difference. Oh, we're all just kind of the same. We all sort of believe the same thing ultimately. And uh, that causes us to, to compromise and to, to shy away from talking about the hope that is within us. In contrast to those, the Bible offers a totally different uh, mindset, a totally different set of habits for those who follow Jesus, and that's to restore the world around us. The world around us uh, needs help, and he's left us here uh, to be part of the solution instead of part of the problem. And so we restore the world around us by just living right in a dark place, by living with integrity. And we also restore the world by doing good things, 
just like Jesus did. That was his habit, is to go and uh, see things that were broken, see lives that were broken, see bodies that were broken, and, uh, and seek to restore them back to goodness once again. This is what God calls us to do in the world. And I just want you to imagine this, um, well, this imaginary scenario and see how goodness and integrity, this, this restoration, how it, uh, how it plays out in a crisis uh, situation. So pretend you're in this uh, five-story crowded department store. You're up on the, the top floor, and there's a big earthquake that hits. Cabinets fall over. There's chaos everywhere. People are screaming, panicking. Uh, the display cases are all shattered, and there's glass all over the floor. And a fire breaks out on the bottom floor, and the building starts to, uh, to, starts to go up in flames, and you, you're here stuck on the top floor. Uh, people around you, they just start looting because, you know, there's jewelry just for the taking there. Cash registers are open. People are grabbing grabbing money, etc. And then the stranger notices you and says, I just noticed you're not swearing and freaking out like everybody else, and there's these, uh, there's these diamond-studded watches right here, and you're not grabbing those, even though they're right there for the taking. What is your thing? Well, your thing is integrity. You're shining like a light where there's darkness and chaos all around you, and that's what we're called to do, not just when it's convenient, but all the time. Well, then it, it just gets worse. You hear, this, uh, you hear this woman screaming in agony, and, and she's barefoot. A cabinet had fallen over and, and trapped her legs, and she got her legs out, but not her shoes, and there's broken glass everywhere. And so you insist that she take your shoes. And uh, so she takes them, and you start to bind uh, your own feet. with the, Maybe you rip your sleeves off your shirt and start wrapping your feet in them. And, uh, and that stranger that saw you before sees you across the room, kind of gives you the thumbs up, like, that's incredible. You know, you're doing... Well, what is that? That's, that's goodness. Uh, cut feet, uh, you give shoes. You're noticing what's wrong. You're doing something about it. There's more chaos. The exits are blocked. There's broken glass everywhere. The flames are starting to reach the floor where you are on, and uh, everybody just starts to freak out. And then you notice on your phone that you get this text that says, helicopter on roof. Access roof ladder through small northwest window. Hurry. Incredible, we're saved. So you make a beeline to that window and you start to break that glass and climb out. And your new stranger friend says, what in the world are you doing? You can't jump off the fifth floor. And because you don't want to get laughed at and because you don't want to be accused of being a know-it-all and because you don't want to offend your friend suggesting that they just run through the flames to safety and because you don't want to draw attention to yourself, And because you think, well, he might not believe me anyway, you just slip out the window, up the ladder, into the helicopter, and fly away as you watch the building burn. So what's wrong with this picture? You've showed integrity. You've showed goodness. But what everybody needed was good news. And you had good news, and you didn't tell them. Something's dramatically wrong with this picture. And this is a lot like our world. Ultimately, our, our world uh, is over. You know, it's, it's washed up. It'll go down in flames, so to speak. And, uh, and we have good news that we have a Savior. So as you relate to the world, whether that's next door or around the globe, 
you, they, they need to see your integrity, that you really live out your faith, that you have a real relationship with God. They, they need to see your goodness, that you are compassionately responding to real needs in the world. But they also need your good news. Because the good news about Jesus is what everybody desperately needs. We mentioned this was Jesus' habit. This was his example of what he did. We talked about this last week in Matthew 9. Matthew 9, 35, um, kind of a summary verse of Jesus' ministry. It says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, and doing these two things, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, that's good news, and healing every disease and every affliction, goodness or good works. That's what Jesus was about, the good news and goodness. Here was Jesus' parting words to those who follow him, um, which includes us. Mark 16, 15, last words as he's getting ready to leave. He says to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. This is what I want you to do is tell everybody on earth, every creature there is, Tell them the good news. Now, many of you know that gospel just literally means good news. It's, um, you have this wonderful news, and to, to present the gospel is to pass on the wonderful news that you have. And so what, what exactly is the wonderful news about Jesus? Well, there's several places in the Bible um, that kind of describe it and talk about it. Uh, John 3, uh, Romans 3. There's a great summary in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 in the first few verses. It says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, you know, the good news I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. And that includes so many of us in this room. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you as of the very first importance what I also received. In other words, he has this 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 gift, this message, he received it, he's passing it on, and this is what the gift is, verse 4. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. The good news is, just like God promised, he sent a Savior, and that was Jesus, and he died to deliver us from the consequences of our sins, and he rose to offer us new life. That is the good news. In a nutshell, that is the gospel. The Apostle Paul, this was his life mission. He gave everything for this simple message, for the good news. Acts 20, 24 describes it like this. This is Paul. I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, you know, my own life is not precious. If only this, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus, and that is to testify to the gospel or the good news of the grace of God. This was the all-consuming passion of the Apostle Paul was, man, I, I could give up anything else as long as I could just spend my life telling people this good news. I will, I will pour out my life for the sake of the good news of God's grace. 
And so I think we can learn a ton from, from Paul and his passion about, about this simple message. In fact, the whole book of Romans, um, it's like this, this big explanation of the significance of the good news, of, uh, of the, the gospel of faith that brings the righteousness of Christ, um, Christ's righteousness placed on us, not by our own righteousness, and that we can have eternal life with God in heaven through faith. This is, this is the good news. Uh, Paul elaborates on it in this whole book of Romans. But early on in the book, we see kind of his heart for the gospel, and, uh, and we can see how his passion for the gospel, and uh, we can learn some things from that. So this morning we're going to be in, in Romans 1, first chapter, in verses 14 to 17. We'll be answering this basic question is, how, how should we handle the good news about Jesus? This morning we're going to look at, at four different ways or four characteristics of how we should uh, talk about Jesus. How we should, how we should consider and how we should, um, what our demeanor should be in relation to the gospel, the good news. Let me just uh, read that for us, Romans 1, 14 to 17. If you're following along in the Bibles in the pew, I believe that's on page 939. Verse 14, I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who also who are in Rome. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So how should you and I handle this message? How should we approach this message? How should we think about this message, this good news about Jesus? And I think, first of all, we should handle the good news compulsively, (laughs) That verse starts out, verse 14, I am under obligation. Literally, I I am indebted to, I have this debt to to both the Jews and Greeks, to the world, I have this debt to the world to tell them the good news. I am compelled by duty to tell the good news about Jesus. This is our debt to society, (laughs) that we tell them about Jesus. That's what we owe it to them. If you have life-saving good news, you owe it to those who are perishing to tell them. If you're in a collapsing building and you know the way of escape, you owe it to the others to tell them how to get out. If you've discovered the cure for cancer, you owe it to all the cancer patients to tell them of the cure. If you're a starving beggar and you find some endless supply of bread somewhere, you owe it to all the other beggars to tell them where they too can find bread. It's common decency (laughs) to tell the good news to those who are without the good news. Uh, Maybe it's your friend, your neighbor, your coworker. Uh, They don't have the same relationship with Jesus that you have. You need to be thoughtful, uh, considerate, winsome, but certainly not neglectful or indifferent about sharing the good news. Some would say, well, it's not really proper or decent to talk about Jesus. 
I think it's not decent to withhold life-saving good news. And it's this mindset that just compelled Paul to talk about the good news about Jesus. He's like, I, I just owe it to the world. I just got to tell them. I got to tell them right now. He says he was under obligation. So first of all, we need to compulsively handle the good news about Jesus. And by that, I mean we are compelled inwardly to tell the good news. And when we have this good news, we need to compulsively tell it to everybody. (laughs) We need to handle the good news indiscriminately because it's good news for all kinds of people. The rest of that verse, I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. All all these kind of contrasting pairs. Uh, The Greeks, uh, well, that was the dominant uh, culture. It was the dominant language. And the word barbarian really comes from unintelligible speech. It it came to be just referred to to foreigners, the uncivilized, people that are different from us. So there's this dominant culture, and then there's these minority cultures that, oh, they're all just barbarians. And Paul says, I'm under obligation. I have this, uh, this indebtedness to tell all kinds of people the good news. Whether they're the dominant culture whether they speak some language that uh, I, I can't understand at all. Paul's passion was to bring this good news to new frontiers where the gospel hadn't, hadn't been before, pressing into new cultures, new languages, new, new fields, new places. Uh, Romans 15, later in the book, toward the end, he says this, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named. Like, well, there's already somebody here. I'm going to go further. I'm going to further out, further out, and tell somebody else about the good news. Well, going back to our, our passage in Romans 1, verse 14 also says, to the wise and to the foolish, another you know, contrasting pair. To those who are educated, um, intelligent, skilled, you know, highly trained, and also those who are, who are simple, who are maybe uneducated, who don't have that same kind of training and skills, to, to everybody. We can't say, oh, that person, they're too intellectual, they'll, they'll reject the gospel. Or that person's too you know, simple, they won't even understand the gospel. No, we just cast it out indiscriminately to the world. Everybody needs the good news. In, in verse 16, there's another pair, the Jews and the Greeks. Uh, I think here's the idea of those who are uh, religious and those who are secular-minded. Um, religious people need the good news. <laughs> secular people need the good news. We, we don't get to decide whether we just tell the dominant culture or the minorities or the educated or non-educated or the religious or irreligious. The good news is for, for everybody. Jesus talks in terms or uses the illustration of of a farmer uh, sowing seeds, and really the, the broadcasting of seeds, um, not as some farming where you plant an individual seed in an individual spot, but it's, you know, toss it out, and some it lands in all kinds of different places, and uh, it's what God has prepared, it's how God has prepared that heart that determines whether there's sprouting there. It's not the farmer that says, oh, wait, no, no, I don't want seed to fall on that person. No, we just, we just sow it. We sow it. It's God who prepares the hearts. God who, who draws the hearts. It's God who saves. He says, put, put the good news out there. 
A great book I mentioned before is The Unexpected Journey by Tom Rainer. That just talks about, I think it's 12 uh, stories and interviews um, that Tom had with, with people who, uh, who you would just say were unexpected um, converts to the Christian faith. Um, a, a solid atheist, uh, a former Wiccan, um, a Muslim, some leaders in a pseudo-Christian cult, and just, you know, people that, if you just met him, interacted with them, you say, oh, you know, they're, not, they're never going to believe. And, and they all did, and they told their stories. We need to share the good news indiscriminately. <laughs> That's what, what Paul did. That's how we handle the good news. So, so what's the result when we have this mindset? We, we have this dead indebtedness sense, like, oh, I just got to tell everybody, and, uh, and we don't discriminate on what kinds of people we're going to share the good news with. Well, when that's true in our lives, then naturally it leads to being eager to sharing the good news. And this is exactly what uh, Paul says next. Verse 15, he says, So I am eager (laughs) to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. He's so eager just to tell about the good news of Jesus. This eagerness has, I think, two senses that we need to kind of wrestle with. One is this, uh, this sense of just being excited. You know, you're eager for something to happen. Oh, I just can't wait. I can't wait to do this. Um, and the other sense is being uh, prepared to share. So how do we get excited about sharing the good news? Well, I think it's reflecting on this main idea is that the good news about Jesus is what everyone desperately needs. When that sinks in to our heads and to our hearts, then we start getting excited about telling people. We need to come to grips with this truth. Um, but I think it also comes from, primarily, it's just something that God stirs up in our hearts. And so we need to ask him, and this is what he invites us to do as we looked at this verse uh, last week. It says, Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Just ask God to stir all our hearts, stir the hearts of his people, that we might be compelled to share the gospel, that we might be eager to share the gospel. But eagerness also has a sense of being being ready to do it. (laughs) If, If I'm zealous to do something, I'm going to prepare to do that thing. And so how do we get uh, prepared to share the good news? Well, First of all, we, we have to know what it is, you know, to be familiar with those passages in the Bible that explain what the good news is, like the first Corinthians 15 or, or uh, some of those others I mentioned in uh, John 3 or Romans 3 and other places that basically say Jesus died to save us and he rose to life to give us new life, to give us eternal life. That's, that's the good news. So we need to be familiar with the good news in order to, uh, to share it with somebody else. I also think we can get ready by just practicing telling our stories. Um, something we did in our 9 o'clock groups for those who were involved is we just took turns this past quarter in our small groups of sharing our stories of how we came to faith. And uh, part of that was just to get us more comfortable with with sharing that all-important story of what Christ has done in our lives. It also helps us know that special, important part of each other as we hear those stories. So we just need to be familiar with and practice telling that story. 
There's also just tons of tools that we could use to, uh, to help tell the good news. And uh, if we want to always be ready and eager to share that good news, we want to have uh, the tools to do that. Um, one I discovered recently that I think is really fabulous, uh, James Chung, I don't know if anybody has heard of him, they, but it's called uh, the, the Big Story, and he just expresses how you can share just the core gospel in about three minutes just by scribbling these pictures on a napkin. It's just one tool to use. Uh, I believe at the bottom of your notes, your sermon notes, I have that, that uh, web address where you can go and, and watch that. And re- really helpful. It's just kind of piece it all together for somebody, these key scriptural concepts. So to be eager means to be excited, and it also means to be ready and prepared to share the good news. I think sometimes we get hung up here because we don't know when we are prepared enough and we never feel prepared enough. I, I admit as a pastor with, uh, with you know, seminary training and a lifetime in church, I still feel ill-prepared sometimes to sh- talk about the gospel with somebody who does not yet believe. And, and I imagine several of you have that same thing where uh, I just wish I was more ready. I wish I had just the right, you know, answer to this question. I wish I knew just the right way to segue into this. I wish, I wish, I wish. But i like us to think about it this way. This starving person comes into, um, you know, maybe they come into our, our home and you realize this person's going to die of starvation. What they would love is my mom's lasagna. She makes this perfect lasagna. It's just fabulous. And so you get out mom's recipe, and you, you try it, but, oh, this isn't quite like mom, so you scrap that one, you throw it away. And uh, you go through, and you do all the measurements again. You're trying to get it just right. Well, you know, the noodles didn't soak up all the water, so they're kind of crunchy. You're like, no, that's not, that's not good enough. And, and the guy is wasting away, starving in front of you. So if you just have you know, some noodles and sauce, toss it in there and just give it to the poor guy because he's starving to death. And that's what we need to do with the gospel. If you know that uh, Christ has saved you by putting your trust in him, you know that he died and he rose again for you, then you know enough to tell somebody else that same story. So don't wait your whole life perfecting your lasagna before you help the poor starving guy uh, in front of you. The good news is really, really good news. It's, uh, it's, it's incredible. It's, it's life-changing. But it's not always received as good news. I think of, uh, of Paul himself, who went to prison for the good news. Think of this, this dark uh, prison cell, you know, you're chained, maybe, maybe chained with some other, other guys, and, and they're talking, as, as I always picture guys would do in prison. It's like, hey, what are you in for? It's like, well, you know, I killed a man or whatever. How about you? Uh, well, I'm in here for glad tidings. I'm in here for, for telling good news. Um, and it just doesn't make sense. Well, why would the good news be, be uh, such an offense why would glad tidings be, 
be such a problem that you would get locked up or imprisoned or abused. And so we see Paul in many places in the New Testament talk about um, what he's enduring for the sake of the good news. And he, he is a great example that says we also need to handle the good news confidently because it's not good news to everybody or it's not received as good news by everybody is maybe a better way to say that. Verse 16, a familiar verse for many of you. He says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? For it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. I, I don't have to be ashamed. I don't have to be embarrassed. I don't have to be apologetic. I don't have to have regrets over it. I don't have to be fearful about talking about the good news because it's God's power to save people. This is the way that God saves people is by telling him the good message about Jesus. Our, our, our belief that salvation is only found in the gospel has, has, a few, uh, has a couple of consequences, we might say. When we solidly believe that salvation is only found in the good news about Jesus, well, one consequence is that we have confidence. <laughs> like, this is the only th- way that people can really be right with God the Father and be restored in their relationship with their Creator. This is, this is what they need. And when we believe that, that gives us confidence. But also our belief that the gospel is the only way that people are saved is uh, it's an offense. <laughs> it causes conflict because of the exclusiveness of that claim. The gospel offends our self-sufficient autonomy. Even though it's really fabulous news, it offends our sense of, uh, I can do this myself. The good news of a Savior means that I'm not that Savior. Like, oh, but I wanted to figure this out and rescue myself somehow and be the hero of my story. The good news about Christ's righteousness means it's not about my righteousness. Oh, but I've been working so hard. I've been doing these things, and is, is God not impressed? And we, we kick against that because we want to be our Savior. We want to be our hero. We want to be the, the lead character in the, in the story of life. And so even though the gospel is really, really good news, sometimes it strikes us uh, as, as an offense because it's an offense to our self-sufficient autonomy. Verse 17 says, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed. It's all about His righteousness from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. It's all, it's all about faith. And then God places his righteousness on you. And all of a sudden, God is absolutely the hero from first to last in the story. And maybe I kind of fade into the background. And that's just wonderful because I'm rescued and I'm wearing Christ's righteousness. And it's just, it's just fabulous. It makes me think a little bit of uh, sometimes kids, although it's been a long time since I've had uh, toddlers, um, they like to dress themselves and do things like my own way and I can do it. And, and uh, sometimes they make such a mess. You know, two 
uh, two feet in one pant leg or the pants are on the, the head or they're on backwards or whatever and, and they're just struggling and it's getting worse and worse and you're like, I, I can help you with that. No, 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 I got this. And that's, what, that's our natural tendency as people. It just it comes out differently as adults. When we look at the salvation that's Christ's righteousness and we're like, no, 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 I got this. I know how to do it. I can be good enough, whatever it might be. I can be smart enough, clever enough. I can beat the system. And God just says, uh, let me help you with that. <laughs> I, I have a solution to your problem, and the solution is Jesus. Oh, I really apologize. I had a great little picture for that, too, but I'll, I'll leave it there for a second. So the good news about Jesus is what everybody desperately needs. But I think it's important for us just to ponder for a minute of how all these things sort of fit together. We... We are ending this week this series of these essentials of uh, following Jesus. What are the basic habits that we should have as, as those who follow Jesus? Um, so I want to try to kind of connect the dots a little bit. Uh, first with thriving through the Bible, through prayer, through worship. Notice how this connects with sharing the good news. Bible, prayer, worship that fosters this uh, thriving relationship with God, um, it makes, uh, how do I say it? It allows you to experience the reality of your relationship with God. It, it nourishes that reality in your life. And so you have something uh, legitimate that you can offer to somebody else. If you uh, do not really have a thriving relationship with God, but you feel uh, you know, guilt tripped by your pastor to tell the good news to somebody, then you, you try to tell the good news and it really falls flat because uh, you're not really experiencing this in your life. So you can see the connection. In fact, a word that, um, well, the Bible uses it and we use it also to describe sharing the good news is witness. Uh, this is in Acts. And we say, oh, have you witnessed you know, lately? Well, a witness is somebody who has seen or experienced something firsthand and then they describe that to somebody else. So if you have not experienced this firsthand, it really is uh, awkward and inauthentic and it just doesn't work to share the good news if you're not, if you don't have, um, if you're not abiding in Christ already. Okay, uh, we can talk a lot more about that, but consider the connection between um, the family of God and sharing those kind of habits of life together and sacrificial giving and serving. When we invite somebody to, um, to believe in Jesus, we are not inviting them to just a change in thinking. We're not inviting them to say, okay, on your survey of religion, now you check this box. Or if you had to write out a creed, now you add these things. It's, it's not just this mind change. You're actually inviting them into something. And this is exactly what happens when somebody places their, their trust in Christ. It's God places them into the body of Christ, into the family of God, into the kingdom of Jesus. They're placed into this community of followers of Jesus. Uh, as a side note, um, I was thinking about this phrase this week of... of um, Receive Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. And it's a very, I think, American way to describe um, 
the salvation experience, but it's not a very biblical way. And in the Bibles we usually use, the ESV, I just searched uh, personal, and the word personal is not in the Bible, at least not in the New Testament. So I thought, well, synonym, a synonym, individual, maybe. Uh, individual, you'll find it three times in the New Testament in the ESV, and every time it's in the, um, the passages we talked about a few weeks ago, First uh, Corinthians 12 and Romans 12, that talk about body life. And it says something like, individually, you are members of one another. That's how it uses individual. So there's no sense that you're out here and it's just between you and God. No, he places you into the body. So uh, all that background is to say that uh, the way we interact with each other in the body of Christ is an enormous witness to the rest of the world. If the world looks in, they say, hey, these are people who are, who are loving each other, even though maybe they're culturally or politically or whatever else, they're all different, but they all love each other and they're sacrificing for each other and they're getting along together. This is, this is crazy. You know, I, I want some of that. That's a testimony to the world. If the church is all disjointed and arguing with each other and, and trying to look out for their own interests instead of the interests of others, uh, nobody wants a piece of that. They stay as far away as possible. So the thriving and the restoring go together, the sharing and the restoring go together. And just consider briefly how the other aspects of restore, of integrity and goodness go together. Mentioned before, if you have no integrity, you have no credibility. You have a hypocritical message. So you are, uh, you are fudging, you are cheating, you are uh, lying, and then you try to tell people about Jesus, there's just a total disconnect. It doesn't, doesn't work. How about these acts of goodness we talked about, restoring goodness to the world? Um, without them, nobody, nobody cares. <laughs> it's, it's very cliche, but it's worth saying that, that uh, people don't care what you know until they know that you care, right? It's, and, and it's what Jesus modeled. He went and led by compassion, he fed people, he healed people, he comforted people, and on and on and on. And people flocked to him to hear his message. Sometimes his message was hard to hear, sometimes it was uh, exciting to hear, but nonetheless, they flocked to hear the message because he had genuine compassion and he cared. When people know that you care, then tell them the good news. (laughs) You have the good news. So, just kind of to sum this up, how should we handle this good news? We have this great news that Jesus came to save us. Jesus came to save sinners like me. So we should handle that little bit of information compulsively. I just can't help it. I have to, I have to tell somebody. It's what I owe to the world is to tell them this good news. Then, indiscriminately, we don't decide, oh, well, I think maybe I'll tell these kind of people, but not these kind of people. No, everybody needs to know. And then we proclaim it eagerly. We just get excited about the good news, and we, uh, we prepare it. We think through, oh, how am I going to tell this? How will I, how will I uh, get to there in that conversation? How can I represent Christ well? And then, even in a world that sometimes doesn't want to hear good news, we could still be confident about the great news of a Savior. So here's the challenge for you, and the challenge, honestly, for me, it's give someone the good news this week. 
again, find an opportunity, find some, some avenue, find some conversation where you could just tell about the good news of Jesus, what he's done for you, what he's done for the world. That's our challenge. Share the good news with somebody compulsively, indiscriminately, eagerly, confidently, but just just share the good news. Uh, Let me pray for us. Father God, it's, um, it's honestly easy for us to get kind of ingrown and think about the concerns uh, inside the church and lose sight of the desperate need for the gospel that's all around us. Uh, both right next door, sometimes in our own homes, but also at the, the edges of the earth. That's why we support um, missionaries. And, but Lord, don't let that distract us from what each of us needs to be doing in our own lives. Lord, we need your, your strength to do this. We need your, your wisdom. We need your, your power in order to share the best news ever with those who desperately need it. So please help us do this for your sake and for your glory. Amen.